Good morning, Calvary family. Happy 4th of July weekend. We are excited to gather together. Uh, today we are online only, so if you're tuning in live, uh, welcome to the service and uh, thanks for being with us and hope you are spending quality time with those that you love, family or friends, and looking forward to just gathering uh, around the Word of God today and encouraging one another. And we're going to finish up Mark chapter 8. Um, and looking forward to just how God is going to move in our hearts and lives. Let's uh, open up with a word of prayer this morning and ask for God's blessings. Father, we love you. We're thankful for opportunity to gather this 4th of July weekend. And we're so thankful for the freedoms that we enjoy as Americans. And God, you've blessed us as a nation. Our nation's not perfect, but Lord, we're thankful for it and how you've uh, given us uh, abundantly the freedom to worship and God, we're thankful for that. Lord, just bless our time as we dig into the Word today. May you use it to strengthen us and encourage us. Those that may not know you as Lord and Savior, may they understand and leave today uh, really having a, a knowledge and placing their faith and trust in uh, Jesus for salvation. God, we give you all the praise and honor and glory. In your name we pray. Amen. wonder what is your most valuable possession uh, in this world. The world has plenty of uh, expensive toys and uh, uh, trinkets, all the things that money can buy. And there's a, here's a few things that people would probably consider their most valuable possession. Uh, there's a gold-plated diamond-studded iPhone for all of you iPhone lovers out there. Um, uh, imagine having a gold-plated diamond-studded uh, that is uh, 2.97 million, you know, just pocket change for most people. Uh, a few years ago, a Mexican billionaire bought a 1962 Ferrari 250 GTO uh, for the low price of $35 million. And uh, are you ladies who like uh, purses? Uh, maybe you're uh, Michael Kors or Coach. Uh, I have uh, three ladies in my household, so I know what purses uh, cost. And uh, obviously, we're not a Louis Vuitton family or any of those things, but there's a Herms Birkin handbag that's priced at a mere uh, $500,000 or $525,000 rather. Um, and there's also a diamond and gold studded uh, handbag that uh, is a sweet $1.9 million. So uh, mind boggling. Maybe you're into watches. Maybe you have a, a high end watch or a Rolex or something like that. And it's a prized possession. Um, if you pay $25 million for a diamond and gold watch by Chopard, it's probably your most valuable possession. And uh, if you're an art lover, uh, you could be the owner of a Jackson Pollock piece uh, called Painting Number no. 5, which sold for $140 million. Now, make sure that you uh, have a big enough wall to display it on because it's uh, four feet by eight feet, which is the exact size of a piece of plywood, which is what the artist actually painted the picture on. So uh, you can imagine having a wall big enough to uh, display something of that size. You know, there's a lot of cherished possessions that people have. Maybe it's jewelry, maybe it's, it's uh, uh, clothing or automobiles or, or houses, boats, uh, but you know, all those things are, are, are valuable possessions, but what is the most valuable possession that any of us can have? Let me just give you a hint. It's not stuff. It's not things that we can buy. Uh, it's not a thing. According to the words of Jesus, our most valuable uh, possession is our soul. Jesus said, 
in Matthew chapter 16, what will it profit if a man gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Your soul is infinitely more valuable than anything or anyone in this life. And it, it will last when the sun, moon, and stars have grown cold and dark. And your soul will exist when the entire universe is gone and it's been replaced with the new heaven and new earth. Your soul is more valuable than all of the banks or Fortune 500 companies uh, of the world combined. The worth of all of the stocks and gold and silver and oil and gas and diamonds, all of those things can't compare to the value of the human soul because our soul will go on endless, timeless, measureless into the future. And you haven't always existed. Only God has always existed, but there was a time before we existed. In fact, before the foundation of the earth, the word of God says that God knew us and he knew that we would come into existence and he created us ultimately. Your soul will exist long after this physical life is over, either in heaven or a place called hell uh, and eternally separated from God. So this morning we're looking at, you know, our soul and the most valuable possession. We're going to finish out chapter 8 of Mark in uh, Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 27. When, it says, when Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, on the way he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others said Elijah, and others said uh, one of the prophets. He's, he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And ultimately he'd be killed. And after three days, rise again. He said this plainly, he says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Imagine one of Christ's followers, one of his disciples rebuking uh, Jesus. Uh, it's hard to even wrap your mind around that. Uh, but he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and follow me. And Peter took him aside and he says, turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling, uh, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake uh, and, the, and the sake of the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. What can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. This message today is about discipleship and Jesus is uh, having, is having an interesting interaction with his disciples, especially Simon Peter. And he he gives us the steps of discipleship. The word disciple, uh, we hear that uh, used a lot in church life. And the, the best translation of the New Testament word is that of a follower. If you are a disciple, we are to be a follower of Jesus. It captures the idea of being a lifelong follower, not a temporary follower, not a fan. We talked about that uh, several months ago. It doesn't mean that you follow Jesus uh, one day a week and or a few days a week or a few years in your life. 
It's a 24-7 lifelong commitment to keep following Jesus. So, you know, you can't be a disciple maker until you're truly a disciple of Jesus. And in this passage, Christ reveals five basic steps that a disciple takes. And he says, step number one is believe and confess that Jesus is Lord. Believe and confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus asks the disciples, who do you say I am? Peter, who usually would say the wrong thing? He gets it right for once. He answered, you are the Christ. Think about the, you know, this was up midway through the three-year ministry of Jesus. And he was usually pursued by a mob of people who wanted to be healed or fed miraculously. So Jesus and the 12 escaped on a retreat to the northern city of uh, in Galilee called Caesarea Philippi and had a chance to travel there. There was a uh, it's a pagan Roman city that had a, a temple dedicated to the half man, half goat, uh, God named Pan. And huge spring gushed uh, from the cave, uh, from a cave in the side of a massive mountain. And the temple was built over that gushing spring that was known as the Gates of Hades. Human sacrifices were practiced there. It was a wicked city. Many scholars believe that Jesus visited the area because he knew there wouldn't be any Jews there. This was a time for Jesus to evaluate where they had been and where they were going. It's, it's good. Uh, we try to uh, once a year have a staff retreat and we'll get away and we spend time praying, uh, just seeking godly, his wisdom and, and the vision that God has for uh, this church, and we did that, uh, our, our pastoral staff did that back in February and just spent a lot of time just seeking God. And there's some amazing things that are coming out from that, uh, from that meeting that transpired that God gave us. And we're going to be sharing some of those uh, during the months of August and September and moving uh, forward in this year. But he asked the guys, he says, you know, some of these disciples, um, he says, who do, they, who do people say that I am? They said, some said John the Baptist Elijah, one of the prophets, they probably had a, a good laugh at those answers. And then Jesus paused for a moment. He says, but who do you say that I am? I can imagine there was probably a period of silence. It was deafening in the room. And Peter answered, he says, you are the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You, you grow up hearing what others say about Jesus. And if you're blessed, if you were blessed to grow up in a Christian home and, and, and go to a, a good church, you grew up hearing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me. So he loves the little children of the world. Uh, we, we sing songs like that a, a, as children. But, but when it comes down to it, it's not what about who others say that Jesus is. You know, it, it's what you say about Jesus. Jesus is asking you, who do you say that I am? It's not enough for us to say, well, my parents say you're the son of God or Jesus, you know, the Bible uh, say, you know, says this or uh, my pastor says that you're the son of God. No, Jesus is the only way to heaven. And so to answer that question for yourself, who do you say that Jesus truly is? Have you believed? Have you, have you confessed that Jesus is Lord. In Romans chapter 10, Paul writes, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Since the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, uh, the point at which a new believer uh, has made this confession was normally at their baptism. It was a time of, uh, it's an outward testimony of an inward change that took place on the inside. And it became a, a countercultural revolution uh, as Christianity began to spread through the Roman Empire. Every year, a Roman citizen was required to pay an annual tax and confess Kaiser Esten Curious, which means Caesar is Lord. But these radical disciples refused to say that. And instead, they confess Jesus is Lord. Have you ever wondered why Christians were arrested, were persecuted? They were accused of treason against Rome. So today, all of these years later in 2022, when we have baptisms and we'll have baptisms in a few weeks. In fact, in September, we have our annual outdoor baptism and it's a, just an incredible day of celebrating what God has done in people's lives. But when we baptize people, I always ask them, it says, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And it's an opportunity for them to testify or give an account, you know, that yes, I've, I've placed my faith and trust in Jesus. It's the first step of discipleship. That second step, step is to remove your ego from the throne of your life. Jesus said something pretty unexpected to Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We truly want to follow Jesus. We have to remove our ego, our pride, our selfish desires and ambitions. And after Peter made his profession, uh, this powerful confession, he was probably feeling pretty good about himself. He was probably thinking, hey, he was proud and I, I, I called it. Jesus is the son of God. You are the Messiah. While he was busy patting himself on the back, Jesus began to tell the disciples the schedule for the rest of their ministry. He told them that they were going to suffer greatly and that he would be rejected by the Jewish leaders who would ultimately kill him. And after three days, he would rise forth from the grave. And proud Peter didn't want to have anything to do with failure, with suffering, with death. He was on the winning team, not the losing team. He was at the right hand of the Messiah and he, that meant riches and honor and, and glory. So picture this, the big fisherman rebuking Jesus, the son of the living God, the Messiah. I don't want to hear any silly talk about dying. Uh, we've got a, a good thing going here and we're going to be, we're going to win big. This is going to be huge. I mean, you can just imagine Peter is, I mean, he's expecting all of the big things that Jesus is going to do. Kind of sounds like America uh, today. We, we, we think we've arrived and you know, they deserved a, a real rebuke. In front of all of the disciples, Jesus looked at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking like a man, not like God. Simon Peter was full of selfish pride. His ego was in charge. And Jesus says, you can never be a disciple unless you deny yourself. That doesn't mean that you have to deny yourself necessarily sweets or, or, or sleep or, or good food, but it means that you're denying self. Think of yourself and your ego, the, the big I, because we're sinners. Our human nature uh, makes us self-centered. 
uh, from an early uh, time of, of a child being born, it doesn't take long to figure that they want their way. They want their stuff. They want what's theirs. And they're, they're always looking for that. So it's, it's denying ourselves. Christ, when you accept Christ as your Savior, He's the one that should be calling the shots in our life. He's the one that should be directing. And folks, some correct characteristics of, of people who are uh, self-absorbed, uh, they, they're often legalistic. They often have an attitude. There's impure thoughts. There's guilt. There's worry. There's a critical spirit. Uh, people who are living for themselves are often uh, plagued by fear. And the list goes on and on, but it includes a poor prayer life, a, a lack of desire, little desire to desire to for the things of God or the things of God's word. And I wonder this morning, is your ego at the center of your existence? In, in a life of a self-centered person, it's all about me, what I think, how I feel, what I want. And as a disciple of Jesus, Jesus says, it's not about you. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. And so that third step of discipleship is visualize your ego as dead. Jesus gave up the next step and he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. A person carrying a cross has only one destination. It's death. It's it's a one-way trip. So for you to take up your cross doesn't mean that you carry a a cross in your pocket or, or wear one around your neck. And sometimes people say things, they'll say, well, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with diabetes or arthritis, and, and I guess that's my cross to bear. Folks, he's not talking about physical suffering in, in a sense like that. But, you know, he's not talking about aches and pains of this life. He's talking about dying. It's not a physical death, but it's a death to self. And so, after you've denied yourself, you must continually, constantly subject me, I, to death. In Luke's account, Jesus says we must take up his cross daily. It's not a one-time action just at the point of conversion, but actually it's since all of our sins were nailed to Jesus on the cross, since our, all of our, you know, our uh, ego is the essence of our sin problem, what he, our big eye was already crucified with Jesus. We just have to visualize it and, and go there. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live in, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There really was someone who was literally crucified with Christ. We'll get to meet him in heaven. It was the thief on the cross. And as he hung beside Jesus, uh, he knew his life was about to end. He looked over at Jesus who was bleeding and dying. And the last thing Jesus looked like was a king because he says, Lord, remember me when you go and you're to your kingdom. And it was that simple profession of faith was enough. Today, he says, Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. When we're crucified with Christ, we'll be like that thief. He no longer cared about what people thought about him. His ego and pride was long gone. But people who could have yelled out that he was stupid or he was ugly or he, you know, all of these things. But he didn't fear stirring the wrath of the Roman people. He was hanging on a cross. 
He was crucified with Christ. The only thing that mattered was Jesus. Putting his uh, self on that cross with Jesus and looking into his eyes, you lose the desire to look at anything else. And he goes on to step four. He says, place Jesus on the throne of your life and begin to obey him. Let him deny himself, verse 34 says, and take up his cross and do what? Follow me. It's time that we start being obedient. If you know Christ is your savior, uh, it's not just a get out of hell free card or we got our ticket to heaven punched as we talked about last Sunday, but it's really about choosing to obey and follow Jesus. If you've ever walked on the beach with your kids, with young kids, uh, you, you see those footprints in the sand and you know, sometimes your kids, you'll, they're walking behind you and they're stepping in your footprints. And, you know, as, as an adult, you've got bigger footprint. You've, they're probably further apart than your kids. And they're kind of jumping to get to, uh, you know, they're wanting to be just like you. Dad, your sons want to be just like you. Mom, your daughters want to be just like you. They want to look like you. They want to act like you. They're trying to behave like you. Following Jesus means to walk in his footsteps. This doesn't mean that you are living a perfect life. We're never gonna do that this side of heaven, it's impossible. But you desire to follow Jesus. It means that we choose to obey him in every area of our life. And you see, God is able to judge us on the basis of our desire and the direction rather than just our performance. We, you know, we're to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus is on the throne of our life, we have a powerful prayer life. We trust and obey God with our lives. I wonder today if that, if that represents your life. It's, it's what it means to truly be a disciple of Jesus. But then it goes on and it says that last step, don't waste your life. Instead, lose yourself in God's calls. Jesus often spoke in parables and it's one of the uh, paradoxical statements. On the surface, it seems contradictory. But when you dig below the surface, you see the truth. In verse 35, it says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Verse 36 says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? A lot of people don't even know that they have a soul. And uh, on Wednesday, I was, I was studying at home. My uh, kids just finished uh, sixth grade. And so they're on their little break for the summer. And Malachi was, um, he was downstairs and I was working in the kitchen on, uh, on my sermon. And Malachi picked up his iPhone and he's like, hey, Siri. And he was asking Siri different questions. So maybe you have a, an iPhone and, and maybe you ask Siri question or, hey, Alexa. Yeah, you know, so I thought about, ask, you know, so I picked up my phone and it's like, Hey Siri, do you have a soul? Uh, and, and try it sometime. Not if, if you're watching it on your iPhone, don't do it right now. But uh, and just imagine, you know, the, the thing is, so often we think about the most valuable possession, but Siri doesn't have a soul. It's just a virtual assistant. It's some, something that's helping us, but it, they don't have a soul. And that's the beauty of the, the life that's lived for Jesus Christ. Our soul's gonna spend eternity in some place, heaven or hell. And we're gonna spend uh, eternity forever in, uh, in a place called heaven or hell. And so it's, it's vital what we do 
with Jesus Christ? The sad thing is many people would answer that question. Your soul is the real you that lives inside your body. Jesus has told us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You say, Pastor, what's the application? I wonder today, are you a disciple of Jesus? Do you believe, have you confessed that Jesus is Lord? If not today, the word of God says is the day of salvation. Today is your opportunity to receive Christ. Why not call on him right now, wherever you are, you could be at home or in your car or on vacation with your family. Maybe you're sitting on a beach somewhere or on a boat somewhere and you're watching this. Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, call on him today. Return, turn from your sin and ask Jesus to forgive you and to come into your life and be your Lord and your Savior. Then I wonder, are you denying yourself, those who know Christ? Are you taking up your cross and following Jesus? Are you willing to lose yourself in God's great cause? You know, so what's your most valuable possession? If it's, it's not a boat, it's not a sports car, it's not real estate, it's your soul. Make sure you aren't wasting it. Instead, lose it in a cause much greater than yourself. I'll leave you this morning with John Piper's words. He says, the opposite of wasting your life is to live by a single soul-satisfying passion for the supremacy of God in all things. If you want to live your life that would count for something, he says, if you want to rip the ripple effect of the pebbles that you drop to become waves that would reach the ends of the earth and roll on into eternity, you have to know one great all-embracing thing and be set on fire by it. Like Paul declare, I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Your most valuable possession is your soul. Make sure you know where you will spend eternity. If you know Christ is your Savior today, live life for the fullest, crucify the flesh, uh, take up your cross, follow Jesus passionately, pursue Him daily, allow the Holy Spirit of God to use you this week to be a light and testimony in this dark world.